morning. Good to see you all. Happy Sunday to you. We are uh, continuing, as Stephen said, in 2 Corinthians. Um, we titled the sermon series Compelled. And I uh, just want to encourage you uh, to ask the question um, as you um, go throughout your week. It's what compels you um, in every aspect of your life, in your spending, in the way you spend your time, your money, uh, your um, you use your talents, what compels you to do that. And so uh, we titled the sermon, I titled the sermon, We Do Not Lose Heart. And that is a uh, an encouragement from God's Word, and it's true for every believer. Uh, it doesn't mean that we don't lose heart. Um, I lose heart uh, more times than I'd like to admit. I've recently lost heart um, over the uh, trade of Nolan Arenado. <laughs> really important stuff, yeah. And uh, they, I lost heart. They had a seven-game losing streak, and then I've gained heart because they won last night. Really serious stuff. I'm pretty deep. There are many times, seriously, though, where I have lost heart, and I've wanted to give up. Um, I've wanted to, to give up. And um, over the condition of my own heart, the condition of the church in America, but well, here's what I've learned, is that when I start to lose heart, I'm not thinking biblically. I forget that we live in a fallen world and that the only hope is truly Jesus. I know we can just throw that out there, but truly the only hope for this world, the only hope for you and me and not losing heart is Jesus. When I lose heart, I'm standing on the promises of the world rather than standing firm on God's promises. And most often when we lose heart, it's connected to afflictions some type of trial or suffering that we're experiencing or others that we know or we hear about are enduring. So my question for you this morning is, have you lost heart? Have you lost heart? If there was ever a year to lose heart, it would be this past year. Pandemic, politics, mass shootings, injustice of all types, near and far. And it doesn't even matter what side you take on any of these issues. If you're not thinking biblically, you'll lose heart. Suicides are one of the indicators that we have of losing heart, of people that have lost heart. And wealthier Americans, those that are middle class and up, um, have far more suicides than those who are lower, um, lower uh, that are in poverty. The, the statistics are tried and true. I've got to, I had to ask the question, well, why is that? And I submit to you that we don't have a category for affliction. That we assume that because we're Christians and we might live in a country that was founded on Christian principles, that we shouldn't have to endure any type of affliction or suffering or trials. Then manifest mental or physical trials. We think there should be a quick cure for everything that ails us. And we're deceived into thinking that if I, if it, that if, if, the problem, if I was a little bit more problem-free, I would be happier. Where in truth, the, the more we have, the more we want. We can easily lose heart when trouble comes and things don't go according to script. When things don't go according to my script, whether it be the script that I write out in my mind each morning or the script that I write out on paper as far as my goals or the goals of this church, I can continue to lose heart. We have friends in Nigeria that you support, this church support, supports, Bob and Gita in Maimuna and Blessing in Sunday. And they routinely are sick. 
that malaria is a normal occurrence in their family. The mortality rate of infants is a mortality rate that we haven't seen in this country in a, a hundred, since 150 years ago. Yet they live with constant affliction, and they are amongst the most happy people that you would ever want to meet. Way happier than Christians oftentimes are in America. When we have a headache or a rash or an untimely contraction, blurred vision, anxiety, what do we do? I know what I do. And I know my wife does and our kids do, is that we like Google it. We Google it and immediately we create a worst case scenario in our minds and we start to lose heart. That I've got like a little rash and next thing you know I'm following this trail that I'm going to die tomorrow. I think you know what I'm talking about. When we run towards man's wisdom and knowledge before running to the Father and being renewed by the knowledge of who He is and His promises, we lose heart. Last week we learned that living, that true living comes, by, comes through dying. Dying to self. Dying to our preserved rights. Um, living for the glory of God and uh, living for the sake of others. This week, Paul exhorts Christians to what? Not lose heart. Not lose heart as we grow old and we experience afflictions of various kinds. And, and as we go throughout this, we're going we're gonna to see that there are three primary ways to not lose heart. And the, the first one is remembering death. Kind of counterintuitive. But if you want to say it is well with my soul and not lose heart, number one, remember death. Number two, be renewed daily. Be renewed daily. Number three, remember God's promises. Verse 16. So, we do not lose heart. Or some of your versions say, therefore, we do not lose heart. When you see a so or a therefore, you need to ask the question, what is it therefore? And therefore or so always points back to the verses that came before it. So in order to understand what Paul is saying, so we do not lose heart, we need to look at the previous section, which are verses uh, 7 through 15. So as we look at verse 7, he says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Verses 8 and 9, we're afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Verse 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with him into his presence. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Verse 16, he goes on, Though our outer man is wasting away, our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. The outer self is wasting away. It literally means that our bodies are decaying. We have an expiration date. We're getting increasingly moldy. And it's easier for maybe somebody in my age category to realize that than some of you. But all i got to do is to, like I, I'm walking around in this body and in this mind, and if I don't look at the mirror for a few hours, like I go, man, like I like, think and feel like I'm 30. And I go to the mirror, especially if I've got like a high school picture right here, and I go, yep, I'm decaying. There's no doubt about it. It becomes so obvious. In Psalm 139, we read that we are, we've been fearfully and wonderfully made, every human being. 
made in God's image. At the same time, we're told that our days are numbered, that we're decaying, we're fragile, we're finite, and we're needy. And it may seem contradictory or counterproductive, but the starting point for not losing heart is understanding that you and me and the world that we live in is decaying. It's progressively decaying, and there's nothing you can do about it. Well, that's hopeful. Aging, disease, hunger, poverty, injustice, crime, and death are all functions of the fallenness of this world and for all humanity. At the moment of salvation, when you believed in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you were justified. And what that means is, is that you were declared innocent of every past, present, and future sin. And that because of your innocence, a holy God can now accept you and that the, the, the veil was torn and the Father has his arms open to us because we're forgiven, because we have been justified. We've been given a new heart and a new hope. We were made a new creation. The new has come, the old is, is gone. But, however, you are not yet saved from a life of affliction. On the contrary, Jesus gave his followers dual promises. We've talked about this a lot from John 16, 33. Two promises. The first promise, we don't like. In this world, what? There will be trouble. But there's a second and a better promise. Take heart. For what? I have overcome the world. Take heart. Don't lose heart. Why? Because your circumstances are better? No, because Jesus has overcome the world. And if, if we believe what health and wealth teachers try to feed us, we'll continually lose heart. When we're, sa- when we're saved from our sins, we are still in the body and on this earth that is subject, Romans 8, to futility. We've been saved from the power and the penalty of sin, but not from the effects of decay. However, as Christians, we don't lose heart. Even though we look in the mirror and see decay and we look around the world and we see it wasting away, we can look into the mirror of God's word and see his promise that one day there'll be no decay, that all things will be renewed. And you might say, well, that's good and great. I believe that and I look forward to that, but what about today? What about my afflictions today? What about my trials today? What about the suffering today? How do I deal with it? Though our outer self and all that is in the world is wasting away, we're promised that our inner self will be renewed day by day. This is another way of saying that we are being progressively saved, progressively sanctified, progressively upheld and carried through. Whatever the Lord brings us to, He will, in fact, bring you through. He may not remove it, but He'll bring you through it. As we look at this word renewed, what does it mean to be renewed day by day? The only other place in Scripture where the word renewed is used is in Colossians 3.10, and it is in the context of being renewed in knowledge. So if we say our inner self is being renewed in knowledge day by day, Colossians 3.10 says this, put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So if we're renewed in knowledge, the knowledge of what? And this is a slippery slope, and we've got we've to be careful here because knowledge is not the end. 
learning is not the end. Intellectual knowledge alone will not renew anything. The Pharisees had exceeding religious knowledge, and they were hellbound. But at the same time, you can't be renewed day by day without the knowledge of God. We're renewed by the knowledge of God when this knowledge makes the 12-inch journey from our head to our heart. When we're renewed by the knowledge of God, it's not, that our, it's not our head that grows, it's our heart that grows. We're renewed by an increasing knowledge of the character of God and what he accomplished through the person of Jesus Christ. When we have this type of knowledge, hopelessness starts to fade and encouragement starts to grow and we become more and more compelled to love and serve others rather than wallow in our decay. This isn't a one-time knowing, but a day-to-day -day growing in our knowing. We need to be renewed daily in order to counteract the daily wasting away. We can't run our life on yesterday's newness in the same way that we can't rely on yesterday's food and exercise to sustain us today. The scriptures remind us over and over again that there's trouble in our days. There's trouble today. If there's not trouble today, there's trouble tomorrow. If it's not tomorrow, it's next week. If it's not next week, it's the week after. Jesus said this to, um, to his weary and worried disciples in Matthew chapter 6. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about the problems tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. The ESV says that today's troubles are sufficient for today. So how are we renewed in the midst of daily afflictions that come from within? Anxiety, depression, worry, and from without. All this going on in this fallen world. We're renewed by God's mercy. If you read Lamentations chapter 3, it's a, it's a crazy chapter where the, the author is just lamenting all the afflictions in his life. And then it's like all of a sudden he gets cold water in his face and he writes verses 21 through 23. But this I call the mind. Therefore I have hope. I call it the mind. The knowledge of God. The knowledge of his character and his promises. This I call the mind. Therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You see, we need his mercy every morning. Every day. You need it today and tomorrow. We can't rely on yesterday's mercy. Today has troubles of its own. We're weak and fragile like jars of clay. And we can become weary of all the brokenness in and around us. But we can take heart because we have a merciful treasure in us who never grows weary and who will renew our strength so that we can run and not grow weary. But here's the thing, Christian. You need to put air under your eagle's wings every day. You can't rely on yesterday's air, yesterday's mercy. We need daily renewal, not daily self-help, not a quote of the day, but daily feeding at the table of our good and loving God. He saves us in stages. He sanctifies us in stages. Yes, we are loved and we are justified once and for all, but he saves us, sanctifies us in stages. 
He's made us weak and dependent so that we would know his power and that he'd receive all the glory. The wasting away is a guarantee for every human being. But the possibility of daily renewal is only for Christians. And that's why the hope for this world is not to, is not to change the world from the top down in any way, but to change the world with the hope of Christ. One disciple at a time. And he says we don't lose heart, verse 17. Four. Or because, when you see four, it's because this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So Paul is a man who is no stranger to afflictions of various kinds. And what he's not doing is he's not making light of your afflictions. Paul's afflictions, as we know, came from within, that he was anxious, and from without. He experienced inner turmoil and anxiety, and he experienced the eternal pressure of his ill health and the sin of others. He described himself under duress of his afflictions in chapter 1, verse 8. He said this. He said, I was utterly burdened beyond my strength, and I despaired of life itself. So remember, when he says these light and momentary afflictions, this is a man whose afflictions were anything but light or momentary. He was afflicted his entire Christian life up until the time his head was severed from his body. Paul was acquainted with suffering and he's not denying the weight of your afflictions or my afflictions. He is a man who is crushed and overwhelmed beyond his strength to endure. And he doesn't speak from his high horse of judgmentalism, but from the depths of despair and empathy. His desire is to testify in the midst of afflictions as to why he doesn't lose heart and how it is in the midst of any affliction that we too can cling to the same hope. We don't lose heart because this moment, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. The weight of our present afflictions is preparing something for us and producing something in us. I know it doesn't feel like it, but it's a truth. I came across this story that is a little bit corny, but it's helpful and understanding what God is doing through our suffering. There was a little boy who loved caterpillars. One day he found one, took him home and made a home for this butterfly. He watched this caterpillar, or this, this caterpillar, he watched this caterpillar every day, making sure he had plenty of food and water. One day the caterpillar started creating a cocoon. Here he would go through metamorphosis and become a butterfly. This was so exciting. The little boy couldn't wait to see the butterfly. One day it happened. A small hole appeared in the cocoon, and the butterfly started to struggle to come out of it. The little boy was so excited, but then he noticed the butterfly was struggling so hard to get out, and it looked like the butterfly wasn't able to break free. The little boy was so worried for the butterfly that he decided he had to help. He quickly got a pair of scissors and snipped the cocoon to make the hole bigger, and the butterfly emerged quickly. But the butterfly had a swollen body and small, swiveled-up wings. The little boy sat and watched the butterfly, expecting that at any moment the wings would dry out, get bigger, and expand to support the swollen body. But it never happened. The butterfly spent the rest of his life crawling around with a swollen body and shriveled wings. 
It was never able to fly. Then the boy learned that the butterfly was supposed to struggle. In fact, the butterfly's struggle to push its way through the tiny opening of the cocoon pushes the fluid out of its body and into its wings. Without the struggle, the butterfly would never, ever fly. The boy's good intentions actually hurt the butterfly. In a similar way, our afflictions have purpose, like the butterfly. But our afflictions are not meant to make us stronger, but to bring forth God's power to strengthen us in our weakness. When something tragic happens, we tend to say, well, that's meaningless. But I'm here to tell you that your suffering is not meaningless. You may not see it, but it has meaning. It's producing something internal in you and preparing something eternal for you. It won't spoil, it won't fade, and it won't perish. It has eternal weight beyond all comparison. Listen to what Paul says about afflictions. He says, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. James says it in a different way in James 1, 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers. When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We can't see meaning, and others can't see meaning in our afflictions. So we're tempted to think that our trials are meaningless. But suffering for the Christian is producing an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison that is growing in us as we're being renewed day by day. And one day, we will experience the surpassing glory in its fullness in the presence of our loving and risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We tend to live as if this life is eternal. But Randy Alcorn in his book, The Treasure Principle, if you haven't read it, it's an amazing book. He says that, that our life is a dot. Number two pencil, sharpened dot on the infinite line of eternity. That's our life. And we live as if our life is eternity, but it's a dot on the line of eternity. In Ecclesiastes, we went through a couple years ago, and remember that the, the preacher um, in Ecclesiastes talked about our life being like Hevel, H-E-V-E-L, which means vapor, that our life of afflictions is a vapor. It lasts in the whole scheme of eternity when you fog a mirror and that fog's on there for a moment and it's gone, that your afflictions are going to be gone before you know it. They're light and momentary. Your heavy afflictions, the weightiness of our suffering, in comparison to what we're going to experience in glory, is light and momentary. Listen to what the Apostle John says. He, he paints a picture of what glory or eternity was going to look like beyond the dot. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear 
from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also he said, Write this down. And we should write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. It's a hard concept. Those, we, we see what's in front of us. We see what's temporal and transient. It's hard for us to see what's eternal. It's hard to grab a hold of the promise that this, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all, uh, all, all uh, comparison. So I thought of an, an illustration. Do you ever get phone calls on your cell phone that say, hey, this is the Marriott, and somebody referred me to you, and we've got this all-expense vacation for you? I don't, if you don't get those, I don't know what list I'm on. Like, I'm always getting hacked. I'm always getting these calls. And I almost talked to one of them last week. And, I, like, she got on the phone and said, Mr. Hardy? I said, eh. I just hung up on her. But here's, here's the picture that comes to mind in trying to understand this verse. Assume that you win an all-expense vacation, all-expense-paid vacation to a paradise that you've never seen, but you've always dreamed of, all paid. You've, you've never been there, but you've always dreamed of it. Everything that you've ever heard of and read about this paradise gets you more and more excited. And on the way to this paradise, you get to encounter people you enjoy and places that are beautiful, and you get to eat and drink food that, and drink that brings a smile to your face. So you pack up the car. You, put, you strap in the kids, and you head for your dream vacation. On the way... The car breaks down. The kids throw up. You get a speeding ticket. The policeman tells you to put a mask on in your car. And the kids' iPads all malfunction. What gets you through? It's rereading the letter that came in the mail that said that you won an all-expense-paid vacation. You reread the letter with a promise and look, and you look at the brochures and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you will see and enjoy all of it in its glory when you arrive. So you're renewed. You clean up the throw up. You become renewed of the promise of paradise and the reality of your destination. You're being prepared for an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. You take your eyes off of the temporary trials of the journey and you look towards the all-expense-paid vacation in paradise where you'll be free. All the good things here you'll still enjoy, but you'll be free of all the struggles and pain. So we don't look to the things that are temporary to satisfy us. Nor do we look to the temporary afflictions that cause us to lose heart because our hope is not here. But we can rest assured that this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Verse 18, how? As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or temporal, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So our hope is strengthened and our heart is renewed as we look to the things unseen, not to the finite things that we see. Hope is not in what is seen or transient, but in the promises, God's promises that are eternal and unseen. One day, our faith will become sight. And we'll see that everything that we heard about heaven 
will prove to be trustworthy and true. Everything the Bible promises about our forever life in the new heaven and the new earth is ultimately trustworthy and true. And among the countless things that we can really look forward to in the world of all things new, our list includes things like this. Finally, we'll finally and fully know our Lord Jesus and we'll see and savor his beauty. There'll be no more decay, no more death or dying or anything, no more funerals and no more goodbyes. No more planting churches. No more multiplying community groups. We'll have perfect relationships, loving and being loved with the fullness of his perfection and affection. No more war, fights, or arguments. Never sinning again. It's my personal favorite. Never being tempted to sin. Never having to repent of anything. Never having to forgive anyone for anything. Forever. The earth will be renewed. Our bodies will be glorified. Our family will be from every tongue, tribe, and nation. And our peace will be never-ending. Day-by-day focus on these unseen truths and promises will make your heart sing with confidence. So I want to wrap up with the three Methods, ways, things to consider for not losing heart. Take these to heart. Take these to heart. Number one, remember death. Remember death. Sounds morbid, but remember death. Um, Back in the days of the Puritans, um, a skull was something that was common in the house. Because they know that the secret to dying to self and living for the glory of Christ and not assuming that we have tomorrow is remembering death. If you go into my office, yeah, I'm weird. You'll see a skull. And you'll see a plaque on my bookshelf that says, Memento Mori, Latin for remember death. I want to be reminded of that. So that I can live for the fullness of today and tomorrow for the glory of God and for the sake of others. Let the reality of decay and death compel you to live life today for the glory of God and the good of others. Number two, we do not lose heart by seeking renewal. We can't depend upon yesterday's bread. Since our afflictions are daily, we need daily renewal. We're renewed by an increasing knowledge of the character of God and what he accomplished through the person of Jesus Christ. And the end is in a bigger head. In all of our Bible studies, and our community groups, even in the, the, the preaching on Sunday morning, the goal is for you to walk away with more knowledge in a bigger head. The goal is, is that you'd, you'd have a greater understanding of the character and the promises of God, and it would make that 12-inch journey from our heads to our hearts, and that we would be compelled by that to love God and love people. And this isn't a one-time knowing, but a day-to-day growing in our knowing. So we pray that this knowledge would remind us of our changed hearts and compel us to delay the decay by living lives that steward all that he's entrusted us for his glory and the good of others. And finally, we don't lose heart by remembering God's promises. The world promises so much that it can't deliver on. But God delivers on all of his promises. When we consider the failings of our own earthly bodies, we can turn to the author of life and find hope. 
We can consider the intricacies of our circumstances beyond our control and admit our limitations and rejoice in our limitations because even as our bodies waste away, we have hope. All things will be renewed. He knows our cells, every one of them. He knows our days, they're numbered. And he even knows the bitterness in our hearts. And he still promises to make all things new. We look not to what is seen, all that is wasting away in the human solution for all that is wasting away. We look to what is unseen and eternal, the promises of God to come. And at the same time, we remember that we have a Savior who never sinned. So he never grows old in ways that we do. He's the ancient of days, with no beginning or end, without decay, without decrease, without ruin. And we remember that there's only one way to make old, dying, and dead people new. It's faith in Jesus. The ancient of days who had to enter into time and subject himself to the curse of aging, decay, sin, and death, so that in his sinless, time-bound life, 33 years, that he might burst the bonds of sin. And he promises that at the last trumpet, all who were saved by faith will be raised imperishable, and death will be swallowed up in victory. And then at that moment, we will fully see and know and savor the, savor the beauty of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is trustworthy, and it's true. Write it down. Let's pray. God, you are so good. And what an incredible life, God, that you have given us in Christ. The mere miracle that when we were dead in our sins and trespasses, that by your mercy you would make us alive in Christ Jesus. And God, I thank you that we don't um, have to wait one day to um, experience your nearness or your presence, but we can experience today by the indwelling Spirit. And God, we thank you that um, in this journey, on this all-expense-paid vacation that you've given us, or that we're headed for, that there's so much to enjoy, that you've given us grace upon grace. And God, we know that... Um, that, there, that we get to enjoy all the common grace that um, every human being has enjoyed. Um, your beautiful creation that declares your glory. The relationships with other people in the context of biological family and our spiritual family. And God, but none of these good blessings um, bring us hope. God, I pray, I thank you for things that even like doctors and, and um, scientists and politicians and other leaders. But God, our hope is not in any of them. God, I pray that we would live as if our hope was in you. That we would not lose hope as we remember death. As we press in and see you renew us day by day. And as we stand on your promises, not the promises that this world feeds us that it can't, that can't be kept. So God, thank you. Thank you for your enduring love for us. Thank you for your mercies that are new today. Thank you for your faithfulness to us, even when we're unfaithful. And we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.